As the world is writing a new story of global kinship, Postmodern Missionary dives into what it means to be a missionary pushing against the heritage of colonialism. Join Reverend Katie Meek as she explores life and faith in Sierra Leone. Hiya, friends. I am so glad that you are with us and joining us today. I think that you are really going to enjoy this conversation with my friend, Cami Goble. Cami, um, I, I'm calling this... 15 years a stranger. Cami has been a missionary in Sierra Leone for 15 years. Um, and she is always the person I go to when I need the wisdom. And in fact, multiple times I've talked with other friends who are relatively new here. And we say, I wonder what Cami would say about the situation because she's not only been through so much, but she has learned early on how to turn things over to the Lord and just love. And that's the thing about her that I um, really, really admire and value. So I wanted to tell you a couple of things before this conversation starts about what's coming. We do talk um, early on in the episode about the war in Sierra Leone, and we talk in some detail about it. So I wanted to let you know, give you a bit of a disclaimer that that might be relatively triggering, or if you have children, you might want to skip that part once we start talking about the blood diamond conflict or the war, um, because we get into some of the challenges, the specific challenges around that. So it might be kind of upsetting. Um, Also, don't blink because Kemi is a is kind of a quiet spoken person who will just drop a truth bomb on you <laughs> that that you did not expect coming. So I I hope that you really enjoy this conversation. It's um, kind of a giggly conversation and also a relatively quiet one, but a lot I think to draw from from her experience. And I say the word wisdom a lot, but that's the truth of it. She's very wise. So I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Okay. Hi, Cami Goebel. Good morning, Katie Me. How are you? <laughs> good. Good. Everybody. Everybody final. Tell good thank you. That's good. We can speak some Creole on this thing. We could. I, we, you're practicing your Creole, aren't That's you? That's right. Yeah. Right. I did try. You did try. Yes, you did try. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, you, Cami, are probably my longest standing friend in Sierra Leone, maybe. Um, I met, let's see, we met... Did we actually meet? I don't think we met the first time. We were both at um, International Church, like right before Christmas. But I don't think we actually talked until Christmas Day. No, I don't think we did. I or think Christmas we met at Eve. Yeah, wasn't it at, maybe at Jane's party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you invited me out to Cockle Point. That and, was fun. And now we are beach friends. Yes. <laughs> With our cats. With our cats. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about this. So um, something that you guys need to know about Cammy before she introduces herself is that she has two adorable cats um, that she and her husband are both, I was going to say fond of, but maybe more obsessed with is more appropriate. <laughs> fond of. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, up until recently, like they were your kids. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into that story later. But um, so they will bring their cats with them to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> and the cats stay in this little at Cockle Point. There's like a little bungalow um, thing. We went there around Christmas time, and then also again around the time of the elections to get out of town. 
And your cats do pretty well. Yeah, they climb trees, they play in the grass, they chase bugs. Yeah, they get lost. They get lost. At least once a day. <laughs> yes, and terrify us. <laughs> There's always like a chunk of the day where one or the both of you is back at the cabin or at the, <laughs> in the room looking for your cats, calling them. <laughs> okay, so uh, welcome, Cammie. <laughs> Hi, Katie. <laughs> Um, all right. So, um, t- introduce yourself for us. Um, what? Tell us a little bit about what you do here and how long you've been here. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm Cami Gobel, and I'm the field director for Word Made Flesh in Sierra Leone. Um, Word Made Flesh is an ecumenical Christian community serving Jesus among the poor. So we um, work among people in the. Krube slum community, which is probably the largest slum in Freetown. So, right. It's in town. Yeah. So you guys consider yourself like a, like a intentional community. Is that the way it works? Yes. So it's just a bunch of normal broken people that have chosen to come together and do life and worship and learn and serve together. And we come from all sorts of different churches and backgrounds and cultures and and um, yeah, so um, and like, what's the makeup in terms of expat versus non-expat? In terms, of, well, so you have a staff, right? Right. <clears throat> um, and so among the staff, I would assume, and then you have volunteers, um, both Sierra Leonean and expats, and then you have like the wider community. Is that the way it works? True. So we have on staff. Um, Two Americans and a um, Korean-Canadian at this time with um, 11 Sierra Leoneans from various tribes. Okay, great. Um, so that's who's, that comprises the staff. Um, we have um, volunteers that are British and American and, and many Sierra Leoneans. Great. Yeah. So how long then have you been here? I've been here since right after the Blood Diamond conflict. I came in 2003. So, and at that time, we were working with kids living on the streets, primarily. And over time, we just became more geographic, uh, like geographically specific to the slum, just because we knew people there and wanted to go deeper rather than broader. Yeah, so, that makes good sense. There's lots of um, youth in, at risk in that community and families in need and we just wanted to deepen and strengthen those relationships and serve there. So so it's interesting that you um, call it the blood diamond conflict. Um, is that on purpose? Because I've heard it, I've heard it described in a lot of ways but most people call it a civil war. Um, so I didn't tell you I was going to ask that question, but it just piqued my interest. Um, m- m- what I know about you is that you tend to be careful about your words. So I'm wondering if that means something to you or if you say it that way intentionally. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it was an organized civil war. I think it, a lot of it had to do with greed and di- you know, just trying to gain control of the diamond mines. So it wasn't necessarily politically or I mean there was complete political components to it but it was basically for who's going to control the the diamond diamond mines yeah Yeah. and I think what the reading that I've done this is totally off topic but the reading that I've done about it is that um it was um 
like the international community kind of fundamentally misunderstood what was happening, or at least they spoke about it in a way that didn't communicate well enough exactly what was happening, you know, because they called it a civil war and gave credence to kind of both sides and all of that. When in many ways it was just a bunch of armed rebels and like a complete lack of accountability and or structure or organization there right. was yeah my understanding that there was initially lots of different factions right you know and it wasn't necessarily a my cat i'm sorry my <laughs> my cat is literally um batting at my feet right now <laughs> um so i also have a cat who a couple of cats who are kind of like my children cat who you also bring to the beach <laughs> well i was inspired by you <laughs> <laughs> Yours haven't gotten lost yet, though. No, that's because I'm I'm more of a spaz than you are. You're a much m- nicer parent than I am. I'm like, you're not leaving this room. <laughs> no jumping and no exploring and no climbing trees. <laughs> Let's see, you've been here then 15 years now. And um, that's a really long time. I mean, you know, it seems like people come in and go out pretty quickly. Even me, everybody says three years. Wow, you know, but and and people are surprised when I tell them that I'm going to be here three years. Sierra Leoneans and expats who are serving here. Um, and so 15 is like a lot, huh? <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> Did you expect to come and be here 15 years? Kind of. Yes. Really? Yeah. I expected to be here long term. Um, we we can never know the future, but I wanted to build a life here and be faithful to relationships here. So it's awesome. Yeah. So um, tell tell us how what like what brought you here? Um, why Sierra Leone at that time in your life? Okay. Well, uh, we probably need to go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll go back to when I was five. Okay. <laughs> Tell us everything. <laughs> no. Well, the short version is, um, which is kind of long. Uh, when uh, I grew up in a single parent home, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom worked night and day. She worked really hard for us. And therefore, my sister and I, we were latchkey kids, and we watched way too much TV. <laughs> 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 and I can be, remember being at home at five or six years old and watching um, commercials, probably World Vision or something, of the famine in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And while we were, quote-unquote, quite poor with a mom, single parent, um, you know, we perceived ourselves that way, here were people starving mm-hmm. and dying. And in my little six-year-old brain, I was like, why are we living like this when people are living like that? Wow, it's six. And I was just, it, it really st- struck me and it stayed with me. And sadly, in our household, there was no place for conversations like that. And, mm-hmm. and so, it, but it, it was very much in my heart for that heart of justice and equality from a very young age. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, I think the seeds of that calling, my calling to come to Sierra Leone started with that. So we fast forward to high school now, and my mom has had a, just a string of relationships with men that perhaps weren't the best for her, right. and um, with some people that were not very kind to her, and um, by the time I was 15, I wanted to check out, and I was really depressed, and I was suicidal. 
and some friends and um, told me about Jesus. And they told, well, more about God and how God was loving mm -hmm. and how God had a good plan mm -hmm. and he could work everything together for good. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a spark of hope and a spark of like, of goodness and of beauty. And so then that started a transformative journey that has continued, thankfully. I, I still struggle with depression. It didn't go away like a magic. Right. <laughs> I wasn't healed. That's a stupid like that. depression. <laughs> it really is. It's a bear, man. Yeah. But anyway, so, so there in high school, I'm like, oh, I want to share this. This is really mm. good. This has given me hope and purpose and meaning and a way to live that I feel is meaningful and rich and deep and very hard. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, and so, so then I just wanted to share that, and I still had that love of uh, that heart of justice. So um, then we fast forward to post college. I went to a Christian university and um, was rejected by a Baptist mission, and that's another long story that we oh don't need goodness. to go into today. Yeah. But but then some friends connected me with this group that was like doing justice stuff. Mm. They were standing up and protecting street kids in Lima mm. from, that were being, that were going to be exterminated. Mm. And I just said, oh, I want to be about that. I want to be about this kind of caring for the vulnerable. And so those people actually were working for Word Made Flesh. So I'm like, oh, I want to hear about more about Word Made Flesh. And so I got their magazine called The Cry. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I'd come home, yeah. Katie. I felt like what I was reading, these simple articles, these simple reflections, very messy, very undone, lots of questions rather than answers, but really people trying to love right. in very vulnerable places, in very broken places. And I'm like, oh, I want to be with them. <laughs> So I got in touch with them. I steeled my courage and got in touch with them, but they didn't have anything in Africa at the mm. time. And, I'm and like, you felt called to Africa. I did. I did have this sense ever since I was really little that I wanted to be about bringing love and justice and hope to Africa. And so, but they said, oh, we're doing, you know, we're thinking about Sierra Leone. So I kind of bided my time a little bit more. And finally, they, start, they birthed the community here in Freetown. So I left my job and left my house and my car and my community in California and I came. Wow. Yeah. Just, so just a big, big leap, big leap. Yeah. So, and there, and so essentially Sierra Leone was in some ways like you chose it because it was Africa, but in some ways it was chosen for you. Yeah, it was Africa. It was word made flesh. As soon as they said, Oh, we're thinking about starting a community in Sierra Leone, I started reading and my heart was just broken for the kids yeah. living on the streets and what was happening in the conflict at the time and yeah. just all. So it, I felt like, yes, I could, I would wanted to be part of the healing of that. So, so. can you tell us a little bit about what was happening at the time? Uh, um, well, during the conflicts, um, Rebels and soldiers alike were cutting off people's limbs. Yeah. And um, even now, one of our, our administrator in Word Made Flesh is an amputee because of that. His right hand had been cut off. And you see it a lot. It's not uncommon. No, it's quite prevalent here in Freetown. Yeah. Um, just rapes of, of women and children. Um, just... Lots of killing of innocent villagers. Um, yeah, they would like burn down villages, right? Yeah, just and, and rape the women and kill the like 
rip open pregnant women's bellies. It was really brutal. It was not an easy time. So it's horrible. And and little boys being forced to be soldiers and kill and uh, it's hard. We, yeah. we worked with ex-combatants, little teenagers that were ex-combatants for a while when we first got here. Hard wow. stuff. Yeah. And do you think I was talking to someone the other day about this? Like, it's not necessarily. I mean, I hear people talk about it, and I've heard people share stories um, once they feel comfortable. And I've never, I don't spend time asking because I don't really want to bring up old trauma. Um, but I do wonder if there is a lot of latent trauma um, inside the culture here. Oh, I think it's right under the surface. Yeah. 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 I mean, Sierra Leoneans are quite resilient and yeah. um, this amazing overcoming spirit. And they are. And they can be quite joyful and they love to have fun and party. But I think right underneath the surface, you can see it in the arguments in in taxis or in the traffic or in neighborhoods. Like little things can spark people off. And I think it's old trauma coming up that hasn't been resolved and old hurts. Yeah, I think you're right about that. But what I I mean, another thing that I find about them is that uh, I mean, it took some getting used to when I first got here is that that they are uh, like I think more naturally just aggressive, um, and they'll just tell you they'll they kind of get in your face, and it feels it feels very aggressive at first, and after a while, it's just like okay, because um, because I've seen enough times um, the spark go off and there be like a little kerfuffle or whatever, and then um, and then they're just fine you know they just kind of go back they forgive each other they they move on they move forward so they in some ways like it feels a little half it's like an interesting rub you know it feels healthy to me that they just handle their stuff and then move on but then at the same time it probably has something to do with all of that stuff under the surface too i would agree with you yeah yeah Yeah. so Okay, so I have titled um, this episode 15 Years a Stranger um, because um, one of the things that... There's so many things that you got to know with intercultural... um, experiences that's that uh like for me an american someone calls you a stranger and it's a little like offensive (laughs) um like what i'm you know like we're friends i'm not a stranger um but and it and it feels like oh you're an outsider you're on the outside right but that's not the way that they mean it and it's creole mostly i mean the the word is 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 a creole word stranger Mm -hmm. um but um i do find that i get called a stranger a lot. And people explain my messes up, my mess ups away because I'm a stranger, you know, a lot. So, um, you've, you've kind of been living as uh, like both on the inside and also on the outside for 15 years. And, and also, excuse me, in the middle of like the center of Freetown bustling, um, lots of poverty, but also lots of people and lots of things going on. And you're just in the middle of that. So I'm wondering, um, uh, so essentially how can, how would you define being a stranger in a salon context? And, um, and, and what's your life been like in the process of that? Yeah. So Katie, I, I think here in Sierra Leone, when you, when in Creole you say stranger, mm-hmm. it's understood more as guest. And Sierra Leoneans are known throughout West Africa for their hospitality. Mm-hmm. And they will say amongst themselves, um, oh, we treat guests 
strangers better than we treat ourselves. And yeah. that's often true. They can be really generous and hospitable and kind to outsiders and then rather uh, cold or rude or unhelpful to each other. And so... Um, not always, because I think, think they're always incredibly generous towards their family as well. Um, but yeah, we, uh, yeah, I'm still an outsider. I'm still white, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> like, right. Um, and, and there's no getting around that. No. I mean, your skin gives you away. Yes. Yeah. Wherever you go. And yes. in whatever room that you're in and in any given situation. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I like the idea of guests in terms of what we do because, um, like, if you imagine you go to a, someone's house and you're receiving hospitality, let's say you're going to somebody's house for dinner, you, you accept what's given graciously and you, um, you're trying to pick up cues from your host of how to do things. And mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a really good stance to come, come at where when we as the West, people from the West come in and we often think we have the answers or we have more education or we have more money or whatever. We often, without even thinking, play this power game of, of I know or I'm in control or, or directing or something like that. And so it's been helpful for me to try to remember and practice being a guest, right. being more attentive to my host culture and being more attentive to what Sierra Leoneans are offering or have to give to me or what I can learn from them. Um, so um, it's a process. Yeah, it's know. a very different posture, I think, um, than, than coming in and kind of... Um, I mean, I, I think of, okay, so I'm thinking of a couple of different paradigms, like one paradigm being, um, a corporate one, like you penetrate a market or whatever, you know, you come in and you try and, and you try and gather people around you. Right. Um, and I think in some ways that's also relatively true of, of some of what NGOs do as well. Sometimes is, is we have this kind of mindset where we're going to go in and, and, and offer what we have and fix it and, you know, or whatever. Um, but to be a guest is in many ways to be one of like, like both vulnerability and receiving mm -hmm. um, because you need what they have to give you. That's right. And coming as a learner, like uh, for example, in, in our early days, um, a gentleman from the EU came mm -hmm. and he was visiting, we were working with this young man, um, a Sierra Leonean man who was leading a club for kids in Krube slum. And, um, so I was coming down to try to help him, um, on a Saturday afternoon. And, and this man, Rene Mali, he was working for the European Union and he's like, what are you doing in Sierra Leone? And so I said, well, come see this. And it was r rather organized chaos at the time. Right? <laughs> Just over a hundred kids that we're trying to organize and sing with and do skits with and play games and share a Bible story. So he comes down and he loves it, mm -hmm. even though it just seems like pandemonium to me. Mm -hmm. and, and he's like, well, what would you do if I gave you a thousand dollars? And at that point I had, there was so much overwhelming need in Krube and I had all these ideas, <clears throat> but so thank, thank goodness something within me said stop. 
you know, like yeah. you don't really know the community. You don't really know the culture. And so I, I said, Renee, I don't really know, but let me talk to my friend Noah, this guy that was, we were trying to, this Sierra Leonean young man that we were trying to help in Crew Bay. Mm. Let's see what he says. Mm-hmm. And so we went to him and we, and we said, okay, if we had a thousand dollars, what would you do? And we kind of just brainstormed with him. And he knew some kids that were sleeping on the streets. And he, and he wanted to put them in school. And so we started this dialogue. And we started this conversation. And over time, we started our first school sponsorship. And I was terrified because, like, I, if you start something here, like, you're right. expected to continue and to follow through. And I'm like, well, where is the good money going to come from next year? <laughs> <laughs> and well, this is, you know, it seemed like a big project for me. But thankfully, we put these few kids in school and we, when we started to um, do some nutritional supplements for the Saturday afternoon club. And, and so, and it's been sustainable and it's been relevant because I think Noah had, was able to make those decisions and not me who, with my ideas as an outsider. Right. So, right. It's a very different thing to come in and say, I know what you need than, than to actually, than to, to sit and essentially place yourself under the authority of the people who are already here. And one thing that just popped into my head, but I have a ten, <laughs> I have a tendency to um, try and probably help in ways that that may not be the the best. Um, I'm thinking in particular with my driver um, on certain things and get involved. And and what I often hear from both him and also other people is, "This is my country. You know, I know it. I know the ins and outs." You know, I've, uh, we, we, like, in many ways, like, they have ownership of what happens here. I don't have ownership of what happens here. It's not, and I don't, certainly don't have any control over what happens here. Even if you do try and control it, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you try and plan it out 100% ahead of time to make it go the way you want it to, it's not going to. No, you know? no. <laughs> um, but recognizing, okay, so this isn't actually mine. And... That requires, I think, a lot of, requires giving up a, a lot of entitlement. Yeah, a lot of entitlement and control. And, um, you know, as I, I've been here 15 years, I look back and I've seen lots of ups and downs and things that I thought were mistakes that later I thought, oh, that, that turned out, that was right, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so my perception on things changes over the years. But, yeah, the, the community is not mine. It's God's. Yeah. You know? And, and it, the cool thing is, is that God has brought just the right people at the right time, you know, uh, because it is Sierra Leonean, but more than that, when we're trying to pursue, uh, you know, serving in faith, it, it is ultimately God's, and He can create mm-hmm. something much more beautiful than we can perceive or imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things about being a, I consider myself a missionary, um, and we'll talk about that word later, but uh, one of the things about um, being a missionary in this day and age is that the paradigms are shifting really drastically, um, and I think we're learning in some ways that what we have done in the past, I mean, even 30 years ago, may have been more patronizing and hurtful than it was good. Not always, but in some ways. You know, part of this podcast and part of my 
I mean, this podcast and the blog are a response to my own kind of wrestling with what that what it means now. If it's still worthwhile, like why are we doing it? <laughs> um, is it still worthwhile, and and what does it mean now to do this kind of work as an outsider? And one of my the general secretary Thomas Kemper of uh, Global Ministries for the United Methodist Church before uh, we finished our training quoted someone that I have not for the life of me been able to figure out who it was. He talked about how different communities actually need us, and that's the like your gift is actually that you're different. And he called it he quoted somebody um, the charisma of the outsider. Um, so I'm wondering if that rings true to you, uh, that your, your gift to the community is that you are different, and that there is a certain charisma of, about coming in from the outside and not fully understanding, and recognizing that you may never fully understand. Like, even after 15 years, there are things that you understand better, but there are things that, without experiencing it from childhood, you just don't know, right? So I'm wondering if you think that your, out, your differentness has been a gift, here. Yes. I wouldn't have always said yes. Um, I think sometimes I've found being an outsider very difficult, but looking back, um, I definitely think that it has been a gift and I would agree. I come with talents and abilities that complement my Sierra Leonean counterparts. Mm -hmm. And when we are thoughtfully, carefully listening to one another and when we are um, trying hard to work together, it creates a really dynamic synergy and I can really try to support them and bring um, perhaps administrative gifts or writing ability um, that just can strengthen our mission and, and do things that perhaps they can't. And there's many things they can do that I can't. You right. Know? So um, together, it's just like this whole body of Christ images, you know, they, I needs the ear. And I think that's true for cultures. And I think that's true for individual personalities and, and Enneagram types. We've talked mm -hmm. about Enneagram in the past. So definitely, I think, you know, when we're all trying to humbly love and serve and learn together they, it, like my my gifts and my difference become quite helpful yeah. so well and i think just i mean in in the same way that your differentness is a gift to them their differentness is a, i mean certainly has been a gift to me um it makes you see differently it's true. I mean, and what, I, what comes to my mind immediately is every Monday at 12 o'clock, our community stops, whatever they're doing, and we get together to have an hour of Lectio Divina. Mm -hmm. and Which is called, it's a sacred reading of the scripture, right? So right. in community, you read the scripture together and meditate on it. Yeah? Definitely. Okay. And yeah, so we read it and we... You know, we first just see what, what's highlighted or interesting for us in it. And then we think, see what, this is what it might be saying to me at this mm -hmm. time, this day. And then how I might embody it, how I might live it out. You know, how I might try to practice this today or this week. And the Sierra Leoneans see scripture so differently. They see they insights and teachings and direction and hope or encouragement or challenge that that I don't perceive right and vice versa I, I'm seeing things that they don't see and so together we see the scripture more fully and it's really beautiful and it's really rich right yeah like yeah I was thinking you made me think of um, when I was teaching some chaplain students um, we were talking about the 
those the the early stories in scripture I think are really really important um, for especially leaders in the church to have wrestled with and understand um, and 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 you know kind of walked into um, and I think we were talking about the nature of like the human condition or something and um, but we were talking about Adam and Eve story and there were a couple of guys um, it's all it's all men right now in my classes but there were a couple of guys who said things that I'm only like I am right now starting to develop in my own theology and understanding that feel to me like like in some ways you have to go through about eight layers at least in America you have to go through eight layers to get to some of these ideas and they I mean these people are not educated in any way in scripture and in the Bible or any of those things and and they had um, a more rich understanding of some of the things that I'm just starting to get and in a way that seemed to come so naturally and I was just like what <laughs> so I mean I almost have to get, get outside of my own paradigm in order to understand some of the richness of scripture that um, that they intuitively understand which is beautiful it is beautiful yeah and I think you know it, it comes back to this attentive listening to scripture and listening to one another and coming open enough to learn something new yeah uh, and not feel like we get it all so does it get tiresome being the white woman around you're not the only one you're not the only one so I'm just you know I'm just wondering you've been here 15 years I guess you've gotten used to it um uh, you know I really love living in Sierra Leone but I also find it incredibly exhausting yeah. um and sometimes I will ask God when I get to, <laughs> I have asked him and he hasn't answered me yet. Right. When you Why in the world tangible. did you bring me here? Right. Like, <laughs> I'm this introvert and I love to be alone and I love to read books and right. I love to be out in quiet green nature. And he's plunked me down right into this busy, very loud, bustly, often dirty, chaotic place. Right. <laughs> Where you get a lot of attention, like just by your very nature, you can't blend in, but then, um, but they also really like outsiders. And so, um, I mean, I just find anywhere I go, you just get a lot of attention. You cannot blend in, man. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) And they're, you know, they're trying to take care of me and love me by visiting me and inviting me where... The most loving thing you can do sometimes is just leave me alone right. <laughs> with my book <laughs> and my cats. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, um, so it's funny. It's an odd thing. But, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that sometimes the people around me think I'm a little crazy because I do spend so much time at home, mm-hmm. um, and I live alone. And they, you know, I think that, that that is so counter to their experience. But I'm also an introvert, and I like some alone time, you know. And also, it is exhausting. Just leaving my house is exhausting. It is, because what you expect happens, it always unravels differently, even yes. after being here 15 years. Right. Yeah, we had a whole conversation about this yesterday, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it seems like anywhere, any, like anything, any little thing in general turns into an experience. Sure, and you have to just let go and roll with it. Yeah. And it's kind of an adventure. It is an adventure. But right. adventures are exhausting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you need to, you know, it's like the Hobbit. You have to go to the elves every once in a while to restore. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. And I think all of us kind of find ways to do that. And I think that's kind of the beauty of this life as well is, uh, I mean, it really is just a grand adventure. Um, but God is faithful to provide relationships and space, I think, um, as long as you're willing to take it um, to, to replenish and all of that. And I would say that before I went on my first sabbatical, I don't think I knew that. And I was way beyond burnout because I didn't take or cultivate um, sustainable rhythms, Mm -hmm. you know, Sabbath rest and, you know, time off and time to read and time to take care of my soul, that soul care stuff. And so, um, you know, really being attentive to that and practicing that has helped me sustain coming back from my first sabbatical and to continue on with some vibrancy is just, yeah, finding... So, um, Word Made Flesh is, like, by nature, uh, at its core, relational. Like, you do have programs, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like the, 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 the main vision is that you come together and live together and be together, not necessarily in the same home, but sometimes, um, and, and live life together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, what does it mean to be an outsider coming in and asking for community what has it been for you maybe at the beginning and what does it mean now is it something different yeah I think that it goes back to that um, story that I talked about with Renee and Noah about Mm. asking questions and listening and and to what, you know, where, uh, where my Sierra Leonean counterparts, where their heart and vision lay and trying to support them in that, um, as best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, we haven't done that very well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we still come, I think we as Westerners too often have still come with our own agendas. Right. Um, it's hard to get outside of your own agenda. Yeah. But we're, we're practicing laying that down and, mm-hmm. um, so I think that, you know, when we started here in Sierra Leone, we were, we were, volu- Word Made Flesh was volunteering with a local initiative that was working with kids living on the streets. Mm. And, and so the Presbyterian Church and Youth for Christ, Scripture Union, and an COTN, which was an orphanage, um, they were all coming together to try to address the, um, issue of kids living on the streets and in the parks. And so we wanted to say, hey, we, you know, we want to be, help you with your vision. And we, as Word Made Flesh, have tried to, over these last few years, be faithful to those vulnerable teens that are now vulnerable, well, not so vulnerable anymore, but, you know, people that are now almost 30, some of them. And so, you know, um, being in sustainable long-term relationships. So some of those young adults, we've known half of their lives now and tried to support them and encourage them as they've gone through school or trades training. And and, um, one of the young ladies um, now is um, one of our board members. And and that's really a neat experience because she's gone through some excruciating poverty and some horrendous things in her life, but now she can really speak into what, how we serve the next generation of young ladies. And um, 
So that's really precious. And she teaches me every day. Right. She knows more than, I mean, more than you do what they go through and what their needs are and all of that. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of us sit around the board meeting, you know, talking about this and that. And and I just remember the last board report, we were just kind of summarizing our different programs and we got to our vulnerable women's program and we're just kind of running through, okay, this is how solar's running. This is how our children's program's running. This is how our youth discipleship's program. We got to the vulnerable girls and we were just bumping through it because we had a large agenda and we Mm. got to the girls and there was really hard things, but they become normal after a while, rape and abortion and grannies prostituting their daughters. And she just started weeping. Yeah. And isn't that the most valid response? Yeah. Like all the rest of us, the pastors and these other ministry leaders, we were around the table. We stopped in our tracks and she was like, she's the one who like, yeah, this is really this is really hard and she kept it real for us and then yeah. later in the day as we were talking grappling with the messiness of how do we do this well she came with some really simple practical things on how to engage the parents and how to engage the kids and I just keeping it real for us and so like I don't know if that answers your question but like we just tried to be faithful to those few mm-hmm. and and we, yeah, to wherever God has led them and what God has developed in them. And, and it's still hard. Some of them are quite successful, but some of them are still quite vulnerable. And some of them we still don't know how to help. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, we've had a lot of discussion about how this work, like we, we pe- well, I think people in the States and certainly, and certainly we too would like to be able to say, all right, so this is the work we're doing and I'm just going to tie a bow around it and present it. And you're going to be very impressed with all, all of the things, right? But the reality of this kind of work is that number one, it has to be relational. Otherwise you're probably going to do harm um, because you don't understand. Um, but because it's relational. I mean, we know this in our relationships with friendships. You can't control somebody else and you can't control all the situations, you know? Um, and so it's just very naturally messy. It is really messy. And I, and I think it comes down very simply to this, what Jesus asks us to do, forgive 70 times seven, you know, like, I've had to forgive a lot of lying and theft and, and, you know, many other things here and vice versa. I've had to be forgiven twice as much for my arrogance, for my pride, for my um, not listening, for my greediness, for, you know, my rushing, trying to expedite and get things stuff and railroading over other people. So like, but, but when we, when we try to create that safety within our community that we're in it together, yeah. and we're trying to lovingly speak truth to one another, somehow slowly that iron sharpens iron mm-hmm. and people gently say, Cammy, that was really like, you really screwed up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I, when I have the openness to receive that, Right. Like it makes me a better person. Yeah. Like it hurts initially and and but hopefully I learn to be gentler or more attentive or whatever. So yeah, I mean I think um <laughs> makes me think of a Shane Claiborne quote in their in their intentional community in the States. In the kitchen, I think they, they have a sign that says everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. <laughs> Um, and I, and, um, you know, that what you're saying just kind of reminds me that the kingdom of God actually happens in those small interactions, um, and not so much in fixing all the problems. 
It's true. It's true. It's in the small little dailiness, in the greetings. Mm-hmm. You know, Sarah Leonins love to greet. They do. And it's so important. It is. But I my, have a hard time. I have a hard time. I have my Western agenda and there's 10 things on my list that I need to get done today. And I like to take time to greet 15 people really well. Yeah. It takes all day. It does. <laughs> it does. And I very intentionally do it when I go into the office. But then there, there was one time a couple of months ago where... Um, uh, the Reverend Conte, his office is right next to mine, and he always says, Reverend Katie Meek. And anytime he passes me, that's what he says. And I say, Reverend Conte, how are you? Or whatever. And um, But he came into my office, and I was in the middle of something, and I needed an answer right then. And I asked him the question immediately. And then he looked a little taken aback, and I immediately had to apologize. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Sometimes my American comes out. <laughs> how are you doing? Whatever, whatever, whatever. But, um, but yeah, the greeting is... And they'll call you just to... Just to say hello and then hang up, you know, Mm -hmm. which um, I just I like I'm coming to love. But as an introvert who likes to escape, it's challenging. Yes. Let's talk about the word missionary for a minute. Uh, because uh, so um, what the people listening need to know is that we have a tendency to run in, into each other at the New Brookfields Hotel down the road. Um, right now I'm on, on a break from school. Uh, so we're recording this in August. And um, so my, the New Brookfields Hotel has kind of become my second office because I don't like working at home. Um, so we've run into each other on accident like how many times? Like four or five <laughs> So we were talking through all of this yesterday, and um, and I said something about you being a missionary, and you said, "Oh, I don't like that word." <laughs> um, so and I thought, well, uh, so uh, because what I uh, because the truth is, like you do raise your money, like you kind of fit the definition of a missionary, no? <laughs> no, huh? <laughs> How are you defining missionary, Katie? <laughs> That's the work of this podcast. You help me. <laughs> I don't know. I need you to tell me. I don't know. And so you want me to unpack it a little bit? Yeah, I do. <laughs> she knew that I didn't want to do this. Uh, you don't have to. It's okay. No. I just <laughs> so I, I try to go home and think about it a little bit. Mm. And what I would say is, like, I, I think I resisted because of some of the cultural baggage. Yeah. You know, here in Sierra Leone or in America? I think just globally, you okay. know, so that not a lot of good, like, while missionaries have done a lot of good in the world, um, I think there's also been a lot of harm just yeah. in terms of it being tied to power and colonialism and civilizing the natives. You right. Know. You said that in quotes. Yeah, yeah, I have little quote. My fingers are little bunny ears. Um, uh, that just make me cringe. Yeah, you know, um, it's cringeworthy. Yeah, and you know, it's so easy to judge. You know, yeah. and I and I, and, I, and I don't want to any way. Like I don't feel like I have a right to do that to our predecessors because with with great sacrifice and courage they they came and and served. You yeah. know, so uh, I think I, even that is messy. You know, yeah. even thinking about all of that is messy. It's anyway. really messy. It's really messy. And, and grace to them. Like, who, you know, I can't even imagine what they endured. Right. Um, 
so yeah, it takes no talent to find fault. So I'm not going to do that. But on the positive side, <clears throat> I was thinking, okay, what am I? You know, and so if you're going to put the, me in this little missionary box, oh, I don't have to. You can you can reject the box, <laughs> reject it. It's fine. <laughs> like, um, you know, uh, in Jesus, I found a way to be in this world that it, that just really inspires me, and, and it slowly transforms me and. It gives me hope and meaning and purpose, and I think for many, uh, and I think it, it, it could do that with everybody, you know, and, and for people that are struggling in Krube to to find their next meal or the girls that have to turn tricks to eat, like I want them to know that their creator loves them and they have an inherent dignity and value. And so I want to come love on them until they know that, that they are loved, you know? And so in that sense, I guess I'm, I'm a missionary because I I, want to share that love with others and that hope that I've received with others. Like, um, and I think community is a very vital part of that because I can't do it alone and I need that accountability from my, my counterparts. I need, you know, like I'm a tiny little thumb or something and I need the eyes and ears of others so that we can do it together and see kingdom, the kingdom realized in Crubay. So, um, yeah, so I don't know if that makes sense. That's a messy answer, but... No, it makes perfect sense. And, like, I am also... And, of course, this isn't the only podcast about this particular topic. So, I, obviously, part of the reason for this whole thing is um, to uh, wrestle through some of these things. Because it is... Um, I think it, I think it's really challenging. Um, but... I think what I, what I see people doing is saying, okay, so all of that was bad that we used to do, and so we should just full sale stop, right? Um, but I do think that there is still, I think that creates kind of an isolationist mindset, right? Like, mind your own business. <laughs> stop. But I, I do think that there is value to the community of God, well, and just the this, just all of the children of God finding ways to be together. Yes, and do life together, and right. have rhythms of celebration and rhythms of rest and right. rhythms of truth telling. Like, yeah, and so I think one of the things Word Made Flesh, we feel like we're part of this new monasticism. So mm-hmm. we have this rhythm of life together, mm-hmm. where we can we can be intentional about practices that are life giving and truth telling and so like that I think that's part of it for me is like a way of being together that's right. that's nurturing and and honest and yeah. and I do think that in it, it will it is by nature imperfect um and is going to be um although I totally am a Wesleyan and believe in Christian perfect perfection but we don't have to get into that um but I do think that we strive toward it we strive toward perfect love Yes. And in the striving, that's where God shows up. Yeah. I agree with you. And the spirit works. So there you go. That's my soapbox right now. Tell me about um, your husband. You're married. You came here as a single person. And we're here as a single person a good long while, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yours is like my favorite love story ever. So why don't you tell me um, how all of that came about? How all of that came about? Yeah. 
Okay, so in 2010, I received the gift of my first sabbatical. So mm -hmm. I'd been here for seven years. And um, at that point, our community allows gives the gifts of sabbatical so you can go rest for nine months. And, and so um, I chose to go to Iona, which is an ancient Christian community on the, on the west coast of Scotland. Mm -hmm. And because I wanted something, someplace clean and green and quiet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to figure out how to do community because I found myself here in Sierra Leone leading an intentional community, but not before I ever actually had much experience right. in community. So I'm like, I just want to serve. So I was working in the kitchens mm -hmm. in Iona. I was baking bread at five o'clock in the morning and, and making soup and hummus for, for about 50 guests a day. Sounds both awesome and awful. Oh, it was lovely because mm -hmm. it gave me enough structure. It was only part-time volunteering. So it gave me enough structure so I could serve, but I could also had free time to walk on the islands and go to yeah. the coast and pet the sheep. And That's awesome. Yeah. How long were you there? I was all, it was only six weeks. It was okay. the beginning of my sabbatical. So I, I was going to walk on the Camino and do some other things as well. So, um, it was a great place to be and it was because it's so isolated and so mm -hmm. quiet. It was, it was lovely. Um, so anyway, my last week there, um, Alan, my husband now, he came up for a creative prayer week. And so we kind of saw each other and, and the guests have to come help in the kitchen shop veg or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of do their part. And so we interacted a little bit. And then the day before I was leaving, we were coming from a worship service and I, and we were walking back up to the kitchen and, and, um, <clears throat> said, Oh, I'm leaving tomorrow. And he looked all surprised <laughs> and he was like, um, Oh, might you have time to tell me your story? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's like a nice Christian boy way of like <laughs> asking you out. <laughs> and so I kind of cheekily looked at him. I'm like, well, if you have time to tell me yours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so we ended up spending the whole day together mm -hmm. and we talked and talked and he shared his story um, and he was quite vulnerable about different areas of brokenness in his life and um, which I found actually really beautiful yeah. that he could be so honest right. and, um, to someone he hardly knew and so vulnerable um, and that gave me permission to be the same mm -hmm. and um, yeah so that was the start of it and then um during that intercore during that dialogue we found out that i i needed some um equipment to go on the camino mm -hmm. the next you know in a few days and and he's like well i have a backpack and i have waterproofs and stuff like that so um so i ended up going to london to borrow his gear because he's british he's british yeah, yeah he was living and working in london at the time and uh, never married right he had so, never married okay. i had never married mm -hmm. so anyway so I go on the Camino, which is supposed to be this really spiritual journey right. walk, right? <laughs> Here I am, 30-something, texting like a junior higher <laughs> while I'm trying to walk. You're like, I, I'm, I'm excited about you, Jesus, and all of this, but like, there's, like a, yeah, there's a gentleman caller and I need to pay attention. I've never texted in my own entire life. Right. <laughs> so I think a bit of the Camino was lost on me. Right. <laughs> But it still kind of gave you the rest of your life, so it's all it right. did. You know, and it was good. I, I did. I do think it was a God thing, but it was not, not what I imagined right. going on the Camino would be like. But, um, but anyway, so long story short, five weeks later, we were engaged. Mm -hmm. 
I love it. So and, sweet. And yeah, and so then initially we thought we'd start life in London because Sierra Leone is so hard mm-hmm. to start. And um, but he came to visit and he stayed with um, a Lutheran pastor friend of mine, mm-hmm. and um, we just had a great time. And um, he also stayed with a German couple that was part of Word Made Flesh. Um, and they had a baby one night while he was staying with them. That was, that's another fun story. Oh my goodness. So, like they gave birth to a baby while yeah. he was staying with them. Wow. Yeah. Like they were, like, yeah, it was really fun. As a, I won't go into details, but it was hilarious. So. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, they had two kids and then they had three. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> So by the end of the time that he was here, he's like, I think we could start here. Wow. So I got my cake and could eat it too. Right. <laughs> so, so he moved out and, and it was really hard for him initially. Yeah. Because it's such a big culture shock and he had left his lovely church and family and house and job. And so, and being newly married, it was, he'd spent like two years like cocooning before he was like be able to like transform into this beautiful butterfly servant that's gone on to do great things for us the last five years. Yeah. But, um, he's pretty amazing. He's a good man. Yeah. yeah, and he's very committed, and he seems so chill. He is so patient and yeah. peaceful and loving, and he just, yeah, he'll he'll do anything for anybody. It's really good. It's awesome. So, so you guys have been married seven years? Yeah, seven years okay. next month. All so. right. I can't believe it. I don't yeah. know where the time's gone. That's so. awesome. I love it. So. Okay, so, and when I met you, um, you were talking about how you, okay, so... You tell me, but I think it was like, so I got here right before American Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and it was like around that time that you guys kind of decided you're going to take the leap and try and adopt. Exactly. We baby. actually decided U.S. Thanksgiving Day 2017 okay. that we're going to adopt. So. All right. Which was huge because it's something I've always wanted and he never wanted. So. <laughs> <laughs> which makes it so interesting to see what's happened since then. Yeah. Um, because he's the sweetest. Um, so, um, yeah, when I met you, you guys were talking about like moving forward, you were, you had put the word out in some hospitals, um, that, um, that you would be open to taking a baby. Uh, should there be, well, you explain it, like, should there be an abandoned baby or how did it work? Well, we just really sensed, um, together. It's an amazing work of yeah, just change of hearts on both of Alan and my hearts. And, um, but by the time we decided that we were going to adopt, we wanted to take someone that was truly, really vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, someone abandoned or with a disability. Um, we chose not to go the orphanage route because so many kids in orphanages actually do have family. Right. And, and didn't want to get into the awkwardness of that. And yeah. Well, and that's messy in a lot of different ways. And like, there's some mess that's good mess and there's some mess that's might be unhealthy mess sometimes. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, we really wanted to support, you know, at Word Main Flesh, we really do want to support families in community. And right. so instead of being, yeah, and helping them become whole and not right. more scattered or broken. So anyway, so it's, not uncommon here in Sierra Leone for babies to be abandoned at mm. hospitals and um, so we did let our friends know that we're working at hospitals and so mid late January we got a call mm-hmm. and um, found out a little baby boy 
premature baby boy that had been born in December had been abandoned, and the family hadn't been around for at least three weeks. Mm. And, and um, the baby had cleft palate. And which is probably the reason for the abandonment, you think? Yeah, because here in Sierra Leone, they're known as witch or devil children, and there's lots of... Um, yeah, lots of negativity around deformity and disability here. Lots of old school ways of of thinking. Yeah. Um, around that, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like it's not necessarily superstition, but maybe it's it 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 does have like deep roots in in an old way. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so we went to the hospital and we visited this boy, and he was tiny, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, and so then we started really grappling, and we didn't know anything about cleft palate, and <clears throat> so the next weekend was the international church retreat, mm-hmm. right yeah. after we met this boy, and so we started talking to people, and they were all excited, oh, it'll be fine, and the doctors were like, oh, cleft palate, that's nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not nothing, but okay. Oh, that's so treatable, you know, and right. Mercy Ships is coming to Guinea, and right. then, so you work it out. Yeah, you'll work it out. God's with you. And da-da-da-da-da. <clears throat> so, long story short, 10 days later, we brought him home. <laughs> so now we're parents of this lovely little boy. And he's been with us six months now. Mm-hmm. And um, we love him dearly, uh, more than we can even express or fathom. And it's it's been really good. Mm-hmm. So, Not without its challenges. He's not the best sleeper. Not the best sleeper, not the best eater. He's been the same weight for like two and a half months now. Ooh. He doesn't like to eat, so we're quite concerned. And he's also growing. He's getting longer. That's the reason he's the same weight. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea, but he looks very long. <laughs> he does look long. He keeps growing longer, but we'd really like the scales to go up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Well, and you spoon feed him, right? Yeah, we spoon feed him. Yeah, with a cup and spoon because he doesn't. He can't suck with his cleft, right? So, so it's. I mean, it's it's been like another level of adventure. Yeah, as well. <clears throat> well, um, I love that little boy. I love his sweet face. I know I say it every time, but his eyes. I just he's got a sweetness to him. I just love him. Oh, we love him too. And you know what? He's healthy. He's, he's, he's becoming more coordinated and he's quite energetic and he does have bright eyes. Mm-hmm. And he likes the sound of his own voice. Hey, oh my goodness, he loves to. <laughs> he's very enthusiastic. Right. <laughs> he didn't get the memo that he came to a house of introverts. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's going to keep you guys on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. You know, one thing that was really funny, I kept praying to God, okay, God, you know, Alan and I, we really love to walk. When we go on vacation, we, we take walking trips with Alan's friends. And I'm like, well, we're open to disability and we'll take any baby you want to give us, but please, can you walk because <laughs> we want to take him on you know to the lake district or up pikes peak or down the grand canyon you know we really want to walk with him the only way to get this baby to sleep is to walk <laughs> the only way to get the baby to eat actually is to walk with him and feed him like he, he loves to walk and so god is just laughing at us, right. right it's a little bit like thanks very much jesus <laughs> i didn't mean that much right <laughs> Anyway, he uh, loves to walk and dance. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, he's sweet. He's the sweetest. 
Um, okay, well, uh, we've been an hour and five minutes, and I, I have said many times that you um, have more wisdom to share than what we have time for in a podcast, and I know that you don't love talking in a microphone, but maybe I'll have you back on and we can share more of your wisdom sometime. We'll see. We'll see. After I, like, buy you a bunch of gifts. I don't need any gifts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I just want to say thanks for um, thanks for sharing your wisdom and also for your friendship. You you guys um, were very important early on, especially. So you did a you speaking of Sierra Leonean hospitality, um, and so I'm really grateful for all of that and for your friendship and everything that goes along with it. Oh, and Kitty, we are so thankful to have your vibrancy and fun, and it's been a joy to get to know you, and yeah, thank you for having having me today. You're welcome. Um, all right. <clears throat> I think that's all. Let's go to lunch. Let's go to lunch. Okay. That is my conversation with Cami. I am sure you fell in love with her just like I love her. Um, in fact, listening to that conversation made me miss her. She's currently out of Sierra Leone right now uh, with her husband and son in the UK. And it makes me want to go and sit and have coffee with her and soak up a little bit more of her um, spirit and heart and kindness and care. So um, I hope it's with that spirit that you continue your day. God bless you. Love to all of you. I'll see you next time.